For me, Mother's Day is one of those, um, what should I do? Because I'm not about to tell anybody how to be a mother. <laughs> smart? Did somebody say that's smart? I know. Good thing, wise choice, I don't know. And um, I was thinking about what I've done on Mother's Day before, and I thought, you know, I've, I've never preached on Proverbs 31. Do you, are you ladies familiar with Proverbs 31? Okay. And so I began to do a little research on that. And, um, you know, I, I think sometimes when a pastor mentions preaching on Proverbs 31, um, some of the ladies in the congregation groan. Uh, who can live up to this woman? I have a picture of the Proverbs 31 woman. There she is. I think that's her. I think if you look at the, descri- the description in Proverbs 31, that's what she would look like. Now, I don't believe that Proverbs 31 actually describes any one woman, but is descriptive of the capabilities of women. Um, this is what women can do. And uh, there might be a few who can do all these things, but like you know, many men who have strengths and weaknesses, there are women who are stronger in some of these areas and, and maybe weaker in others. Um, you know, if you use Proverbs 31 as a standard, it can leave uh, women feeling frustrated and inadequate. Um, and the problem I see with Proverbs 31 is, I mean, there are some mentions of character in there, no doubt. But it's, pro- it's primarily about performance, capabilities, what women can do. Which is not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not discounting the Scripture any, in any way. But I think uh, the difficulty that it creates is that most women look at this and say, Man, I can't do all that. Now, if there are a bunch of you here who can do all of that today, forgive me. Um, so I, I was I was researching this, and I found this. Um, I, I think it's probably a blog. Um, it's done by a, a, a lady named Aubrey Smith. She's a f- freelance writer and a stay-at-home mom with her two sons. And this is what she says. She says, I hate the Proverbs 31 woman. (laughs) And this is her take on it. A Proverbs 31 woman forgoes her career and life's aspirations for childbearing and childrearing. A Proverbs 31 woman uses weird words like help meet and uses purpose as a verb, as in, I purpose to get the dishes washed today. A Proverbs 31 woman keeps a perfectly pristine house in high heels and pearls. A Proverbs 31 woman stitches her child's clothing by hand, hangs the laundry on the line, uses cloth diapers, and bakes phenomenal pies. Her sink? It's empty. A Proverbs 31 woman acquiesces to her husband's every wish. She is quiet and meek and never opinionated. A Proverbs 31 31 woman knits crochets, and cross-stitches. She decorates like Martha Stewart and actually succeeds in her Pinterest crafts. 
I've seen those Pinterest fails online. <laughs> a Proverbs 31 woman weighs 110 pounds and has perfect country singer hair. She says, that's in verse 52. By the way, it ends in verse 31. So... She goes on to say, she is a box I cannot fit into. She is a trophy wife that I cannot be. And having her as your role model is the epitome of a graceless home. She has her list of rules, checking them off to make sure she measures up. I can't imagine how this woman seems to the single woman, the childless woman, the single mother working herself to the bone to make ends meet. If I, happily married, staying home, and shoot, even cloth, cloth diapering, which you never hear about anymore, feel that I cannot measure up to this woman, how do they feel? We can't, we can't all be the 1950s housewife that we seem to read into Proverbs 31. So she goes on to say this, the real Proverbs 31 woman is someone I like. Some scholars believe, and I've never read this before, some scholars believe that the original placement of the book of Ruth after Proverbs in the Tanakh, which is the Jewish Old Testament, was an indication that Ruth was such a woman as described in Proverbs 31. So you would finish reading Proverbs 31 and then go straight into the story of Ruth. This helps me. Because I need a real person with a real story. One who gave up her heritage and idols to follow her mother-in-law and her God. A woman who was once an outsider and was grafted into the community of God by faith. One whose story revolves around a simple life of obedience to God. When we read Proverbs 31, we need to remember to jump ahead to the New Testament. Jesus not a list of rules, makes a woman into a Proverbs 31 woman. He takes a controlling woman and teaches her to put others before herself. She indwells the lazy woman and provides her with purpose and perseverance. He gives her the mind of Christ and instills wisdom in her over time. He breathes warmth into her cold heart and helps her become compassionate. He gives her strength in her weakness he gives her dignity in her shame. The real Proverbs 31 woman is simply a Jesus woman. The fruit of the Spirit has always been and always will be the outcome of a life submitted to the Holy Spirit. So put your list down. So I'm going to talk about the Jesus woman and the, the, the fruit of the Spirit today. Like, you know, um, I, I, I re, uh, I've taken a couple of groups of men through a, through a, uh, a series um, called, a book, a Bible study called The Measure of a Man. Well, um, the fruit of the Spirit is a measure of us all. Should be. Not just, listen, guys, this, this is, you know, Mother's Day and see, so kind of craft this to speaking to the ladies, but really we speak, it speaks to us all. Fortunately, guys, we don't have a Proverbs 31 in there anywhere that we have to try to live up to. Not one chapter anyway. It's all through the book, isn't it? But this applies, the fruit of the Spirit applies to all of us, but I'm going to address it in terms of she and, you know, 
ladies today, okay? So, the Jesus woman. This is not about what you do, but who you are. Not about performance, but character. Those, those um, internal qualities that are referred to in um, verse 31, or excuse me, verse 30, where it says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. See, I think the fruits of the Spirit are indicative of a woman who fears the Lord. Um, this, now, it's not to discount the capabilities of the woman in Proverbs 31, but rather to say that as impressive as that list of capabilities is, the more important issue to deal with is who a woman is inside. Or a man, for that matter. Because what we are inside translates to who we are outside. In fact, we talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning, didn't we? Now, fruit... The fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is something that comes about naturally. Fruit must grow out of life, and in the case of the believer, it grows out of a life lived in the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit in us. When we think of fruit, we imagine things like beauty and quietness. It's the unfolding of the natural process of life. And it would be ridiculous to think that an apple tree would somehow say to itself, hey, I think... I I guess I'll produce some apples today. Apple trees don't do that, do they? It's a process. It's a natural process with apple trees. Neither does a Christian tell herself, well, I guess I better go out and bear some spiritual fruit. That's silly. It's something natural through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The fruit does not come about because of conscious effort per se. Well, I'm going to produce fruit. It is a result of surrendering our lives totally to the Holy Spirit, to God's Spirit. It is a matter of what or who is controlling us inside. Jesus said in John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, no fruit. Well, well what it says is, apart from me you can do nothing. Which means no fruit. So the first thing mentioned here, and I think there's a reason Paul starts with this. He says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He starts with love. Um, a quick sidebar. Paul uses the word fruit, not fruits. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. We would tend to think, well, this long list, isn't, aren't those all different fruits? Mm, well, it might be compared to a clump of grapes. There's all these different grapes on a clump, but they're all grapes. Okay, I kind of like this idea. I would tend to agree with the commentators who say that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and all these other qualities spring from or are attributes of love. Love is the actual fruit, and out of love comes joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And all the people said, Pastor, right on! I, th I think we see the same idea expressed uh, in the book of Colossians. 
In, in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, where Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We see some overlap there, don't we? Bear with each other and forgive one another. If, you have, if anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord get, forgave you. And then here's the key. And over all these virtues... Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So I see Paul, what he says um, here in, in the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, and what he says in Colossians is really kind of overlaying each other. He's basically saying the same thing. And the key here is love. That is the fruit from which all these other attributes spring. Okay. An extensive survey was conducted in the United States by a leading polling agency. Questionnaires were distributed to people across various ages and occupations. The key question was this. What are you looking for most in life? What are you looking for most in life? When the results were compiled, the analysts were shocked. Most of them had expected answers that would suggest something about, you know, money, possessions, uh, goals of some kind, but the top three people, top three things that people wanted were the first three things that Paul mentions in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. The first three were the fruit of the Spirit. This demonstrates that God really knows what we need. So it should not surprise us then that the first fruit in Paul's list is love. Remember, it was Paul who wrote the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, in which he concluded with these words, And now abide faith, hope, and... Audience participation is okay. <laughs> now abide these three, faith, hope, and... Charity, yes. Somebody went to King James on me. Love, charity. Okay? Um, but the greatest of these is love. love. Yeah. So as we continue to yield our life um, to God's Spirit, into the Holy Spirit, our love will grow. We will become more Christ-like in the way we love. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Now, we, we've probably all heard the word, uh, if you've gone to church or heard pastors preach about love very long, you've heard the word agape, the Greek word for God's love. It's unconditional love. It, it, he loves everyone even though they may not return love to Him. That's God. That's what He does. Agape is the highest form of love. There are other forms of love. There's friendship love. There's a sexual attraction love. But this is the highest form of love. So when Jesus said, love your enemies, Matthew's Gospel uses the word agape. When Jesus said, thou shalt love thy neighbor, Mark, the, the writer of the Gospel of Mark used the word agape. When the Scripture says God is love, it uses the word agape. The highest form of love. So as we grow in the Lord, we give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit, our love will become more and more like the love of Jesus Christ. We're growing in Christ-likeness. 
It will move more toward unconditional love. We talked about processes this morning in Sunday school class, didn't we? The process sometimes of, of coming to peace in our hearts over some things. Well, that's the way this is too. I, I'm going to make a confession. It's good for the soul, right? My initial reaction to people is not always unconditional love. God has to do something in me for that to happen. Right? Uh, am I the only one that feels that way? Okay. Okay. So, we'll move as the Holy Spirit works in our lives as we grow. Uh, uh, we'll be, uh, uh, the love in our hearts will move more toward unconditional love. That means that we will love people who may not love us in return, who we may call difficult or unlovable. That means we'll love those who misuse us. We'll love people regardless of color or nationality or, or economic status or, or lifestyle. The Spirit-controlled believer will manifest the same character and conduct of love as Jesus did. We will love as Christ loved on the cross. Dr. Bill Bright, remember him? In his book, The Holy Spirit presents a unique idea. He states that in reality there is a single fruit of the Spirit. I talked about that, love. This love is manifested in our attitudes and actions. And here's how he describes it. Joy is love's strength. Peace is love's security. Patience is love's endurance. Kindness is love's conduct. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's confidence. Gentleness is love's humility. Self-control is love's victory. The fruit of the Spirit is love, we, and we love because God first loved us. Love, joy. Notice Paul does not use the word happiness or pleasure. Joy is different. Joy goes much deeper. We must not mistake happiness for joy. Boy, I, I think some people who who come into the body of Christ, who come to know Jesus as Savior, how this, this misconception that life is going to be happy all the time now that Jesus is my Savior. There is nowhere in the Scripture where it tells us that. It does tell us, however, that we can have joy no matter what. It's something deeper than happiness. Did you know the Bible mentions joy or rejoicing 330 times, but it only mentions happiness 26 times? Happiness depends upon what happens to us. I'm happy when things are going good. So if all the circumstances are right, then we're happy. But joy comes in from inside. The Greek word used in this list of fruit for joy is shara, which is a term always used to refer to joy that is based on spiritual or religious factors. In other words, this heavenly joy is based on God, not on the things of this world. This joy that Paul is referring to has nothing to do with circumstances. Circumstantially, things may be going great or they may be terrible, but the joy remains. This believer who has joy knows that 
she can always rejoice because God is in control. He is working all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Joy. Love, joy, peace. Some years ago, a retired couple was alarmed by the threat of nuclear war, so they undertook a serious study of all the inhabited places on the globe. Their goal was to determine where in the world would be the place to be least likely affected by a nuclear war. I think nuclear war is a global thing. You start firing nukes at each other, it's going to affect the whole planet. But anyway, that's what they thought. Um, They wanted a place of ultimate security. They studied and traveled and traveled and studied. Finally, they found the perfect place. You're all wondering, where was that? And on Christmas, they sent their pastor a card from their new home in the Falkland Islands. However, their paradise was soon turned into a war zone by Great Britain and Argentina. (laughs) Do you remember that? Uh, So much for the Falkland Islands. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What was Jesus saying? Peace for the Christian is not simply the absence of conflict. Rather, it is the deep abiding peace that only Jesus can bring to the heart. It is that inner calmness of emotions and thoughts which rests on the assurance that God is too good to be unkind and too wise to make mistakes. This peace is knowing that God is in control. The Spirit's peace comes only from having peace with God. Love, joy, peace, patience. We, we've come to think, I, uh, I think we've come to think of patience as the ability to wait for some event or object to come our way in the future. True, it is an aspect of patience, but that's not what Paul had in mind when he wrote this into the fruits of the Spirit. Paul had in mind being patient with people. Not so much as being patient with things. In this text, it refers to, well, I almost hate to use this word because it's been used so wrongly, I think, in our culture, but it's being tolerant of people and their actions toward you. Do you know what I'm saying? In other words, it has to do with how we react. Um, Patience is a gentle tolerance of others no matter how they may treat us. That's the point. I'm not talking about tolerating sinful behavior, but tolerating the individual who acts out that sinful behavior. We're patient with them. It's like God is patient with us, isn't He? In spite of our unseemly behavior. God is patient with us, not not wanting any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. Remember that? Kind of important to me. Instead of the word patience in the King James, it uses the word long-suffering. Maybe that's a better idea. 
kind of we have struggled maybe with that word tolerance, long suffering. In many ways, this word may, may be more appropriate for what Paul's trying to express here. In other words, the Spirit enables a Christian to suffer long. As Christians, we realize that God has been patient with us in our shortcomings. Therefore, as a believer, we are to be patient with others. One who is long-suffering has her temper under control. Instead of losing our temper when we are wrong, we are patient and full of endurance. In other words, we are slow to take offense and we leave vengeance to God. Yeah, that was enthusiastically received. (laughs) Do you recall the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Ooh, tough stuff. Whoever said being a Christian was easy? Well, it's a crutch. Patience. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's been said that kindness is grace in action. Paul says that a fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Does this mean you'd be kind to those who are kind to you and not to people who are unkind to you? (laughs) No, it doesn't, does it? In fact, the opposite is the greatest truth. As Christians, we are to be kind to those who are mean to us and what the Bible says, despitefully use us, say rotten things about us, are mean to us. Pastor, you don't know what it's like out there. I mean, I live in this bubble, right? Nobody's ever been mean to me. I serve the church. Why are you laughing? <laughs> it's dog eat dog. And if you're going to get ahead, there's no room for kindness. You've got to walk on people. Hmm. Folks, if we allow the Spirit to control us, we will respect others. We will seek to be kind to others. If for no other reason than because they are a creation of the Most High God. A story is told of a child who found a turtle and started to examine it, but the, you know how the turtle... Squeak. The little boy tried to pry open the turtle with a stick. His uncle said, no, no, that's not the way. He took the creature inside the house, set him on the hearth. In a few minutes he began to warm and he stuck out his head and feet and began crawling toward the little boy. And the uncle said, people are sort of like turtles. Never try to force a fella into anything. Just warm him with human kindness and more than likely he will open up. (laughs) Luke 6.35 tells us that God is kind to the evil and the unthankful and we're to do the same. Ephesians 4.32 tells us how we as Christians are to live in relation to others. 
As children of God, we know His kindness towards us. And we are therefore called to mirror His kindness in our lives towards others. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Simply put, the Spirit-controlled person will be a good person. I pray this can be said about every Christian in this room. That we're good people. What Paul is speaking of is moral and spiritual excellence. It's, it's defined as a positive moral quality, especially characterized by an interest in the welfare of others. Sounds like, a lot like the quality exemplified in most moms to me. A positive moral quality, especially characterized by an interest in the welfare of others. That just sounds a lot like moms. Goodness goes deep. Goodness is love in action. See, the, it, it, this, the thought that this goodness thing carries with it not only the idea of righteousness, but righteousness demonstrated in everyday living. In fact, it goes beyond being righteous for, for righteousness' sake. One author said it this way, a righteous person could evict a could evict a widow for not paying her rent. Righteousness is following the standard. Well, that's the rule. That's the standard. You don't pay your rent, out you go. But goodness would pay the bill for her. It takes the initiative in serving other people in concrete and constructive ways. That's what goodness does. Acts 10.38 tells us that Jesus went about doing good, expecting nothing in return. Didn't we used to sing about that in Sunday school? Jesus went about doing good. Let's be honest. It's easier to do good when we know we'll be recognized and rewarded. But that's not what is in mind here when it talks about goodness. God wants us to do good just as His Son Jesus did without expecting any return for it, without wanting any recognition, saving, knowing that we are doing God's will. This, this act of goodness is not the busybody who sticks their nose into everyone else's business under the guise of helping out. It's not the attitude, attitude well, I do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. This is the love which insists in doing all the good it can for all the people it can by all the means it can. In whatever work we do or whatever schedule we keep, if we will allow the Spirit to be in control, we will find opportunity to demonstrate the fruit of goodness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The New Testament concept of faithfulness is essentially about a lifestyle of sustained, obedient trustworthiness and loyalty to God and others. It is synonymous with perseverance and patient endurance. And as such, faithfulness is not a momentary act, but an ongoing way of life. We remain faithful to our God, we remain faithful to our relationships and our family and the body of Christ and to God's calling on our lives. 
through the good and the bad, the happy and the sad, the pleasure and the hardships. That is faithfulness. It's hanging in there no matter what. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Gentleness is a quality of not being overly impressed with one's sense of self-importance and is evidenced by humility, courtesy, considerateness, and restraint. In fact, gentleness in the King James Version is not gentleness, it's meekness. But I think gentleness is an easier word for us to get a handle on because we don't use the word meek very much. In fact, when I think of meek, I remember the cartoon about the two mice, Eek and Meek. You remember them? Anyway, sorry. But you know what? Even when we use the word gentleness, I'm not sure we have a good handle on that either. I think we have a a tendency to almost view gentleness as kind of a weak thing. But in truth, it is restrained strength. Gentleness is a humble, non-threatening demeanor that comes from a position of strength. It is useful in calming anger in yourself and in others. It is not weak. It is not passive. Gentleness is handling people with care. Gentleness responds with care and responds with compassion. Gentleness seeks to understand what is going on in a given situation and then responds caringly. That's gentleness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think there's a reason why it's last. (laughs) Maybe the toughest one on the list for a lot of us. Do you see how self-control, maybe Paul put it there because self-control is related to these other characteristics in some way. It takes self-control to be patient with people and yourself maybe. It takes self-control to patiently bear with others instead of getting in their face. It takes self-control to be gentle instead of giving vent to your anger and flying off the handle about something. It takes self-control to maintain peace and be willing to be wrong instead of loudly insisting on your own rights. Why should we practice self-control if it's so difficult to do? It takes so much restraint. Well, the, the Apostle Peter tells us why. In 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So he's saying if you're not self-controlled and you're not alert, there's a good chance you're going to get devoured by the prowling lion. Man, I knew this would go long. But I've got to share this illustration with you. Um, I'm told that um, in some places um, in Africa where tribes keep uh, cattle and sheep and things like that, and there are lions, 
they will build enclosures out of... Um, they use the thorn trees and bushes to build these enclosures out of it. And so the lion has figured something out. If he, if he comes and he begins to, to, to roar, maybe circle that enclosure and roar, those, the livestock inside, they, they, they begin getting excited and nervous and they lose self-control and they will break through that thorn barrier. And you know what happens next, don't you? The lion sleeps tonight because he has a full tummy. And that's kind of the picture for us. When we lose control, we made ourselves pray for the roaring lion. We've gone where we shouldn't go. Satan's waiting for us to lose control the way a predator wants to pounce on an unsuspecting prey. And the result is compromise or rashness or outbursts and ultimately regret. And Proverbs 25:28 says this, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. There's no protection there anymore. You've removed it. Self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Not an optional extra in the life of a believer, but the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in in residence and working to make us more like Christ each day. And as impressive as it might be to be a Proverbs 31 woman, the measure of a Jesus woman is the fruit of the Spirit. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Bless you, ladies. Bless you. Um, I'm going to pray a prayer benediction and then all you ladies can go home and cook for your... No, I don't... (laughs) That's what the Proverbs 31 woman would do. (laughs) Tomatoes aren't in season yet, so... Um, but on your way out today, we have flowers for you. And there's at least two apiece. And maybe more than that if you hang around. Alright? So please uh, be aware of that and take yours home with you today in honor of um, our moms and our ladies. Alright? Let's pray. Father, we rejoice today in the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives to produce the fruit of love, whether we be men or women, because we all need to look like Jesus. And so I pray, Father, today that uh, as we open our hearts to You, as we recognize, you know, as we've considered love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Lord God, where we may say to You, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would work in my life to develop this fruit more fully because it's not there in the measure I would like. We need to do that. Then, Father, help us to be honest with you. But may that fruit that all springs out of love be evident in all of our lives. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Go in His grace and peace.